Hi, everyone. My name is Christopher Bruce with the Bruce Law Firm, divorce lawyer in West Palm Beach, Florida. And today I have the uh, just real ultimate pleasure to be joined by Connie Diffenderfer. She is a trauma coach. She's located in the Gainesville, Florida area. And what we're going to talk about is something that um, I, I think is just a really um, important and um, hard uh, topic for, for some people. And um, that's how to develop the mindset to leave a narcissist or um, a toxic uh, spouse. And, you know, in my experience, in my law practice, um, getting that mindset um, at the beginning is one of the most important steps of the process. So I'm excited to be joined um, by Connie to talk about all this. And um, Connie, maybe before we get into this, uh, just uh, tell the listeners a little bit about um, who you are and, and your background and, and how you came to um, have your coaching practice. All right. Awesome. Well, first of all, just thank you for having me on here for what you do with your practice and being willing to partner with others. And thank you to everyone that's in the audience that's listening. And um, I'm just honored to be able to share with you what I know and what I do. So like Chris said, I'm Connie Diffenderfer. I'm an RN that also uh, went through training as far as to become a coach, a nurse coach. So I'm board certified nurse coach, but also trauma-informed, narcissistic abuse specialist, uh, brain spotting practitioner, and a board certified mental health coach. And just a little bit about me personally, I grew up through a lot of trauma. I went through um, foster homes, a lot of things, a lot of abuse, things like that growing up. And then um, when I was er when I was young, I guess by 17, I started dating a narcissist and I got married at 18 and was with him for 25 years. And um, basically over the course of that time, I lost who I was. I became confused. I was just beat down. I was afraid and I felt stuck. And eventually I, after a breaking point where my children, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was faced with having to rebuild my life. And at the time I had four children, two of them biological and they were older. And then two that I had adopted that had multiple severe disabilities. And so I, I knew that I had to mourn, but I also knew that I had to do some things to get my life together and to rebuild for my children and me. And so I went to massage therapy school. I went to nursing school and went through as far as all my training to become a coach and all of that just sort of come together and just kept leading me more and more to be able to help women that had gone through similar things. So I do a lot with trauma, but specifically with those that have suffered narcissistic abuse. Well, Connie, thank you for um, sharing about your background. And I think you're probably the, the first, uh, the perfect person to, to ask this. Um, if you could um, maybe just explain how being in, in a long-term, right, I guess even in a, a short-term relationship with a narcissist or just another toxic individual can, can affect a person. Yeah, absolutely. And bear with me if you see me looking down, I'm looking at my notes because I want to make sure that I don't forget anything. But, you know, with narcissistic abuse, it's so insidious and it can happen to anyone. And what I found is it often happens to people that are strong, capable, they have these wonderful qualities, and that's what attracts the narcissist to them. And this is often an additional battle that the victim goes through because they're blaming their, themselves. How could I have gotten myself into this? And so for those of you listening, if this is you, you didn't do anything wrong, they're attracted yeah. to you because of the good in you. And they will even mirror those qualities to make themselves 
look good. So this is how they win you. Um, but to really answer your question, once a narcissist feels like they've won you and they trapped you through targeting, grooming, love bombing, their mask begins to come off. And this will immediately cause confusion and a cognitive dissonance with the victim as they try to make sense of these two different sides because this person is not who they fell in love with. And as this continues, dissociation can take place in the, as the victim still trying to figure it all and hold it together and make it work. And anytime it's addressed with a narcissist, the victim is usually gaslighted using, it's called DARVO. So it's D-A-R-V-O and it, it stands for denial, arguing, review reverse victim and the oppressor so this just leads to more confusion for the victim and so between the confusion and then the neglect the verbal emotional sexual financial spiritual and sometimes even physical abuse the victim just deteriorates in every area of their lives their needs are not being met they feel like no one understands uh, they're often told that it's their responsibility to fix it which leads to further victimization and exhaustion. And this just depletes the victim emotionally, physically, spiritually, and sometimes financially. And so the narcissist will then use this to shame and to further blame the victim because they aren't who they used to be. And then during that time, the victim's nervous system is struggling between this fight and flight, which is our sympathetic nervous system, or freeze fawn, our parasympathetic nervous system. And then their body's getting flooded with all this cortisol, which leads to increased inflammation systemically throughout the whole body, headaches, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, autoimmune disorders and inability to lose weight, insomnia, brain fog. And so you can see how all of this is just this spiral that goes down and it snowballs and eventually can become life-threatening to the victim. And that's why I say that emo emotional abuse is, it is actually covert physical abuse because it is physical abuse. It's just not being seen. And then during that time, the victim's most likely losing their relationships Due to these complications, they may struggle to maintain any source of independence and unable to think clearly. And it just, it's like poison to the victim's soul. It's, I, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head of so many um, emotions that, that our clients um, talk about when, when they come to us. And it's, um, you know, I, I, I guess it's just, it's, it's something people overlook, but I guess the the covert physical abuse is, is that's I, I haven't heard that said before, but that's that's a good one. I think that's exactly how you know the symptoms manifest in, in some people, especially when it's been a long time. Um, um, Connie, I think maybe your your experience both um, as a nurse, as a coach, and as um, somebody in one of um, these relationships um, previously, um, probably uniquely qualified to talk about how. Um, how does a, a person's life start to get um, better once they um, make the decision in their mind that uh, they, they want to leave a narcissist? I know it's not all like rainbows and unicorns, but I mean, what, what, what changes do, do you see in people? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great question because there's so much fear in change and especially when you're separating from a narcissist. Uh, it's been said that the only thing worse than being married to a narcissist is divorcing one. And so unfortunately that tends to be the case yeah. it gets worse before it gets better 
but it does get better if we do the work and we keep following through it can get better so since i was a surgical nurse i basically use the analogy i use analogies a lot so i use the analogy of like surgery when we suffer an injury that requires surgery it's going to require there to be additional pain there's going to be discomfort there's going to be therapy that we're going to have to go through to get back to the state of health that we were in before the injury and there they they might always be a scar that's there forever but in time with the right tools and support it will no longer affect you the same way that it did and so from my experience each person they get to a breaking point and for everyone that's different and just not being able to take it anymore and they begin to seek understanding and help uh, the next step is really acknowledging the truth of the situation we see this in 12-step programs we see it spiritually the victim has to surrender to the fact that this person is at the very least unhealthy if not truly dangerous and so one has to be honest with themselves and admit that this person is not who they portrayed themselves to be and that's often that's often the hardest part because they have to come to terms with the fact that the person they fell in love with doesn't even really exist and um, they have to work through all the stages of grief there so there's the denial the anger bargaining depression and eventually accepting acceptance and part of that accepting is coming to terms that they can't change the other person there's no amount of love no begging no self-improvement no praying no fasting no education that's going to force a narcissist to change they don't believe that they need to change and that makes them incapable of actually following through with that so the one who's been a target of narcissistic abuse has to detach deprogram and detox themselves this is <clears throat> excuse me this is physical as well as emotional due to the fact that hormones are released during the cycles of narcissistic yeah. abuse and so that actually causes a physical addiction that creates a trauma bond or also known as stockholm syndrome and the detachment is accomplished by going gray rock until you can go no contact uh, it's very difficult generally requires the help of someone that understands and is willing to help walk a victim through that and it's extremely difficult some actually say that the addiction with narcissistic abuse with that trauma bond is stronger than the addiction of heroin <clears throat> wow that's um you know that that's just really <clears throat> I haven't heard it put that way, but um, I, I believe what you're saying and then seeing how, you know, hard it can be, um, even when somebody knows that, that they need to, to stop, I, I guess, in, in many ways, um, you know, just like a heroin addict, I think there's many of them that know that they need to stop and it, it's hard to, and it, it's fascinating here you to describe it that way. And it's mm -hmm. moving on though, to um, the, um, uh, the the progress through one of these situations um, as somebody who's trying to to leave one of these relationships I I know it has to just appear overwhelming to them I mean we hear that from our clients here in the firm um, all the time um, but you know from my perspective uh, one of the the things that seems to have the most impact um, on somebody is um, trying to get the right um, uh, mindset um to leave the relationship and and distance themselves um and i'm just curious about you know your perspective um how, how do people go about 
developing that mindset? What's 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 the best thing or the first thing they can do to try to have that perspective shift um, in their mind to to make this very hard life changes and transition? Yeah, well, I mean, for me as a believer, first thing is prayer. So that's something that's always my first go to. But from a holistic standpoint, I would say mourn. You have to mourn. This is a death. This relationship, something very important to you that you've put your hope in and your dreams in and everything that you want for your children has died. And so it's a loss unlike any any other. When my ex and I separated, I didn't eat for three weeks. Now, I do not recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) Looking back during that time, I can see how I was mourning. I was really grieving with all that I was. And I just allowed myself and my children to do that. And I knew that it wasn't permanent. I knew that I wasn't going into a depression. I knew that I had to feel it. I had to feel it to be able to process it. And um, that's, that's often we find ourselves that when we're in those situations, if we give ourselves the space to grieve, then we actually will heal sooner and more fully. And so that's the first things and self self care is huge. You have to take care of yourself. You have to gray rock, no contact. So multiple things there, but yeah, I would definitely say grieving for with me. I, like I said, the three weeks I went, I didn't eat. I, I cried. I just grieved. I kind of just shut out the rest of the world. I had to give myself and my children that space and then after three, and it's different for everybody as far as amount of mm-hmm. time. But for me, after that three weeks, I kind of looked at my children. <laughs> I thought we had to do something here. So I just say, I put my big girl pants on. I put my makeup on. I fixed my hair. I got me some support. I sold our home. I bought another one and I put myself in school and I started rebuilding a life for myself and my children. I guess it's, as you were going through that that process, um, you know, and and I guess now as you're you're helping um, people um, through um, the the process of, of leaving a narcissist, which it's really I think it's it's just admirable that you're you're doing that, um, especially if you're going through it yourself. Um, you know, just from your perspective, how important is it for people to develop a vision of what they they want their life to be like when um, you know they, they are beyond the situation and relationship that they're in. I think it's absolutely essential because you can't create something that you can't see. And so I would write it in a journal, create a vision board on Canva. (laughs) You know, that can be therapy itself. Write out short-term and long-term goals. You know, get outside and let your body feel it, to see it, to smell it, to hear. Think about this life that you want to create, that you now can create, that you maybe thought that you couldn't create, that you would never have that chance to do it. And for me, I, you know, create affirmations, go through all these, type it up in your phone and use this as a daily task to speak over yourself and over your children, if that's applicable for you. But you have to believe it. And sometimes we even have to coach ourselves to help us believe it. But that's why we have to have hope. Hope is critical in this because if we don't have hope that it can get better, that keeps us stuck. That was like great advice to me and 
Um, you know, when we're counseling our clients um, as, as they're going through the divorce process, we have a, a client program, so to speak, and part of it is uh, vision building, as we call it. And um, when we, we do that, and my colleagues do that with our clients, we, we tell people, we try to make it simple. We say, hey, like, just at least think of some things that you should start doing, things that you should stop doing. Maybe some, there's some great things that you should should keep doing um and uh, really really think about that as you're deciding on what you want your life to be like and i'm just curious from your perspective as a you know trauma coach um and um with how you you help your clients um what are some of the things you think would be really good for the uh, the, the person listening to this um who's thinking about moving on from one of these relationships uh, for for them to think about as they try to start envisioning what what they want their life to be like down the road okay yeah excellent so and i've i've got eight things here that i wanted to share with everybody but basically this is kind of part of the detox portion that i mentioned earlier so first we have to detox from things and from people in our lives that inhibit our healing these could be things that trigger us but they could also be things that are just stopping us from moving forward sometimes we have to evaluate relationships and let them go and when we're been in a narcissistic relationship sometimes there are people in our lives that have actually contributed and kind of fed this situation. And so we have to evaluate that. So we have to ask ourselves, do they trigger you? Are they keeping you down? Do they consume time that you need elsewhere? Because you have to minimize during that time, your nervous system has been so overloaded and it needs time to heal and time to restore. And you have to be able to have the energy to do that. And when you do, it can be extremely freeing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Like I said, for me, when it, when it happened, I threw myself in nursing school. And while I had four children at home and I was homeschooling the two youngest that were, had multiple severe disabilities. So as you can imagine, I cut out all relationships that weren't beneficial to that vision. There was no. But if there's anybody that says, says life is is hard, I mean, if you can go back to to nursing school at, at that time with four kids and two special needs children, while going through that type of life transition, I mean, I I think anything is just about possible for anyone. I, I sorry to interrupt, but I just had to say no. something. <laughs> no, you're good. Thank you. But that's what I had to do. I had to become so focused. And it goes back to your question that you asked before you, you know, we do have to have that vision and to be able to have that vision, we have to remove anything that's getting in the way of it so that we can focus on that. So absolutely. Um, and that's what I did. There was no TV for me during that time. And so it was very focused. Uh, number two, basically I've always told my children that your calling lies where your gifts, your passions and your opportunities all come together. I tell them, you know, <laughs> if you have a passion for something, you have an opportunity for it, but you don't have a gift for it. <laughs> you know, you might be able to learn it, but you have to accept it might not happen. And so, you know, with my clients, I would tell, take your vision board that we've talked about. Take this journal where you're processing and you're creating what it is that you want for your future, your daily affirmation list. Take all this in hand, pray about where your calling is and then start creating small action steps that will work you towards that. For me, I knew I had to get a home. I knew I had to get in school. And I just started walking that direction because it's so overwhelming when you're coming out of that. And like I said, your nervous system is just struggling. But if you can just get some steps that's gonna move towards that. And it helps because it's flexible. 
and you can change those steps and you can change that vision board because you're no longer in that narcissistic relationship that where you feel so controlled. Um, for number three, um, support and faith. You have to do this. We all do. We were created to need each other. We were created to have something greater than ourselves to hold on to. And with a narcissist, especially if you've had children together, you have a battle that you're going to have to fight. And so we have to armor up. I do that by having my God time every morning. And so whatever that is, you know, for anybody listening, I know that I can't do this alone. I need key people in my life and I need what I, my faith. And so those, those are important for everybody. Number four, education. We have to educate ourselves regarding what we've been through because it's confusing and it, narcissism doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to the rational mind. And so we have to educate ourselves on codependency and on narcissism and on recovery. We want enough to be able to understand it, but not so much that it consumes us because that can take us into a rabbit hole that actually holds mm -hmm. keeps us moving forward too. So I'd pick one or two resources that really align with you. And then just trust that it's okay to not know it all immediately. It's a process. Uh, number five, financial independence, an absolute must, because um, we simply have to have income to eat, to have a home, to have medical care, to take care of our children. And this is gonna look different for everyone. And everyone has to have an individualized approach, but, um, the beautiful thing is just this flexibility of the seasons that we're in and the opportunities that are offered. But even if, whether it's part-time from home, whether it's part-time, just whatever we can do to develop that financial independence, because it's going to provide for our needs physically, but it's also going to be healing for us that we don't feel that we have to depend on someone else to do that for us. And a lot of times what I see with women, especially with women in the church, is that a lot of them have been made to feel like they can't work, like it's wrong for them to work. And that, yeah. that trips a lot of them up because they feel like, how am I going to take care of my children and work? And, but in this situation, you absolutely have to, you have to be able to have a way to take care of yourself. Um, number six, self-care. You've most likely, um, or for the, any clients, anybody listening, any audience, you've most likely neglected this. You've been, not been able to do self-care in your relationship because you've been taking care of someone else that's very demanding to you. And yeah. even if it's just a bath with a candle, and some music that's soothing to your soul. Just whatever you can do that moves you towards self-care and getting to understand and know yourself again and to calm and regulate your nervous system. Uh, number seven, have fun, dance, play games, do a field trip with your children, uh, best friend, laugh at memes. I'm a memeaholic. I tell everybody I don't care anything about TV, but I love funny memes. Uh, this is it's healing to your nervous system to laugh and to be able to have fun and it's okay to start to enjoy that again. And then my last one is exercise for people that are in that um, parasympathetic state that freeze or fawn that may just seem like it's just impossible. But even if the victim can just start moving just even if walk 15 minutes a day 
get outside if you can. Something to kind of start getting that energy going back and getting those endorphins moving because it's going to give you strength. It's going to increase your health. It's going to help you to think clearer. And then, so yeah, all of those. That's kind of kind of my eight. So not in any particular order. Yeah. That's an amazing list. And I mean, I, so many of them are very, very important and practical, but I, I kind of like having fun, you know, in, in there too. And then sometimes, you know, people forget about that. And um, yeah, it kind of leads me to um, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you. I mean, with leading a hard relationship, being married to a narcissist, um, don't even have to be married. It could just be just any, any relationship. It, can sometimes be hard for people to get excited about um, what lies ahead in their life to have fun um, or feel like having fun even possible. And, um, you know, do you have any particular advice for how people can start getting excited about the, the life that lies ahead for them? Yeah. Well, I mean, find that everyone has to find inspiration and to find your why. You know, one of the things that may help with you just start seeing that's possible. Look at testimonies of others that have gone through before. Um, it's possible at any age. I did it in my forties. So it's not too late. We all have a purpose that still exists there. Basically, I look at it, a narcissist was just a detour that taught us some additional lessons in life that can make us stronger, wiser, and more compassionate. But basically my inspiration, my why has always been my children. It, it just always was. It's what made me start eating again. It's what made me get up and get moving. It's what made me buy a house, made me put myself through school. And I knew that I had the choice. I could focus on that 25 years of loss. Or I could choose to focus on the possibilities and opportunities that I had now that I didn't ever know that I would have. I'm a firm believer in taking what was intended for evil and using it for good. And I was determined that my children were going to witness the power of that in the midst of it. And so I tell my clients, this is where it takes that warrior in you, that sass, that spunk, the part that maybe the narcissist didn't like, <laughs> and take that pain and that anger and use it in an energy to launch you beyond what they thought that you could and to refuse to accept defeat and a victim mentality. And so I've used the word victim several times in here because we do get victimized in the situation, but we don't have to remain a victim. We can experience post-traumatic growth and we can become an overcomer. That's uh, amazing to hear. And I mean, it's um, we're, we're coming up on um, getting close to four o'clock in the afternoon as we're filming this. And I've already had two pretty long meetings today with some people in um, harder uh, stages of, of their life. I wish I could have dragged you in and had you say some <laughs> of this stuff um, uh, to them. And you got a great way of, um, I think, uh, showing uh, where, where the positive lies in all this. Um, so thank you for everything you're sharing. Um, Connie, I, I, you know, maybe for people who are, are listening to this, they, they've heard of therapists and and how you can go um, get therapy, which I think we probably both agree is important. But how does um, what you do as a coach help people as they're coming up on um, or going through the process of uh, living a narcissist or a difficult relationship? What do coaches do for people here? How, how do you help? 
Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people that come to me, they've been to a counselor, but never been to a coach. And so they don't really understand. So I'm so glad that you're asking that and just making that, putting that knowledge out there for people to understand the difference because it can be kind of confusing. But, you know, we all know as far as a counselor, they work more on diagnosis, more on issues that's happened previously, you know, in the past. And as a coach, but specifically being a trauma-informed coach, I do work with that somewhat because I'm focusing on a root cause resolution. But my goal is to see where you are now, how that past is affecting you, and then how to move you forward to where you want to be and to help my clients be able to see that because I've also suffered that pain, that confusion, that defeat and that fear, the hopelessness, being made fun of, betrayal, all those things and my mistakes that I made along the way because I'd never done it before. There wasn't a book that gave me everything of how to do deal with my ex in that situation. And so I learned as I went through it and I feel like that's what I bring is that exact thing, understanding where people are but also knowing how to get through it. And so I'm just here to show that it can be done and to hold that space, to provide education resources. And so we create plans, whatever works individually for that particular person to move them forward. And then, you know, for the people that are listening to this and um, identifying with what you're saying, thinking maybe it, it could be helpful uh, to them, um, maybe just uh, t take a minute or two more and um, just tell, tell them about your coaching practice and, um, you know, how, how you and your team help um, people and, um, you know, where they can find you. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I'm a faith-based coach. Um, so, you know, I, most of my clients um, are Christians. Not all of them are. It, and I, I coach anyone anyone that needs it. Um, my practice is over Zoom. Most of them is over Zoom. I do a few in my home, but generally it's over Zoom and I can coach anyone anywhere in the world. Um, I create a safe, but still a powerful place for my clients to break free, to heal, to overcome. So I use things like uh, prayer and scripture if the client is comfortable with that, but then also deep coaching to get to that root cause resolution. So like those type of things that we would see in counseling, but then also exercises to calm and to nurture the nervous system to, um, I use worksheets. I have an online program that I have, uh, mindfulness, meditation. I do uh, flash EMDR, brain spotting, internal family systems. So a lot of body work in with that because trauma does store in our body. And that's another thing going back to your other question that makes coaching different because when we continue to talk about the negative all the time, it keeps us sort of on this merry-go-round and can get us stuck. And so with coaching, we're trying to pull you out of that. So that makes then, a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, you're good. <laughs> I was going to say, well, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, for the people, um, we're going to have your, all your information in the, the show notes, so to speak, but um, people will be hearing this in a lot of different mediums. So um, what's, what's the best way for people to get in touch uh, with you? Where do they, where do they find you? Um, maybe uh, speak on that before we wrap this up. Okay. All right. Well, overcomersandhim.com is my website and there's links to click on for anything. I've got free quizzes on there where you can schedule with me 
and um, it actually will link you to a program that's called Practice Better, and that's the platform that I use for documentation and for my online programs and all of that, so that's how it'll come up. So overcomersandhim.com, you can always find me there. My email is just Connie at overcomersandhim.com, same thing. And then my phone number, the best way to reach me as far as phone would be 352-325-1230. And I'm on Facebook as Connie Kuffman Diffender for RN. And then on Instagram is Overcomers in Him. Well, um, Connie, it's uh, been um, an absolute pleasure. Um, this is uh, Christopher Bruce, a divorce lawyer in South Florida. And um, I've uh, been here with uh, Connie Diffenderfer. And um, thank you for all the value you shared. It's uh, really inspiring to um, both hear your story, but hear some really great practical tips um, that I think can really empower people to um, make their life a lot better when they're um, in, in a hard place. So thank you for your time with us. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. And like I said earlier, for what you do and just for collaborating with others that have different specialties. So thank you.